All right, our scripture reading is going to be from John chapter 11, beginning in verse 38. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he had, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary to see, had seen what he did, and they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, so that the whole nation, not that the whole nation, should perish. But he did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, they should let them know so that they might arrest him. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's Word, we need His help. And so we are going to begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, we thank You for Your Spirit that enables us to understand, to hear, to have new hearts. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work today as we look at your word. Help it to have its full work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our passage today is continuing to the culmination of much of what we've been talking about in the weeks before. John chapter 11, if you remember, started with the story of Jesus being out in kind of the outer area outside of Judea. He had left because of the great danger in the temple of being stoned. 
by the people who thought he was blaspheming. And so he had hidden and away out into this you know, far out region and he got word that Lazarus was sick. Jesus delays a little bit before arriving. We get this impression from him immediately that he is going to raise Jesus from the dead. Nobody quite understands what he's talking about. He gets there and he sees Martha and Mary. They had hoped that he had been there to help before this had happened, that Lazarus had died, and Jesus comforts them in different ways. Jesus, right before this scene, as he talks to Mary, weeps with her and asks where they had laid his body. And he goes with Mary and the others to the tomb. And that's where we find ourselves today, standing before the tomb of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus is called the one whom Jesus loved. And so Jesus here weeping with Mary and the others in this time of mourning, is standing before the tomb. And this passage highlights for us, of course, this great miracle. As Jesus has been doing miracles publicly in Judea, in the temple, around, out in public, this is the highlight of his public ministry. It is really the last public miracle that is going to happen And it is the thing that is going to ultimately lead to his passion. That is, his betrayal, his entrance into Jerusalem to be handed over and suffer and die. Just as his conflict with the Pharisees has been getting more tense, so his miracles are getting more extreme, more powerful, more disruptive, among the people. If you remember at the beginning of John chapter 11, when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is ill, he responds by saying this in chapter 11, verse 4. He says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is saying in this beginning uh, account of what's going to happen to Lazarus that it isn't an accident. Ultimately, this isn't going to stay as a, a death sentence on Lazarus, but it is coming about for the glory of God, and specifically so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It is the same thing we see picked up here in John chapter 11, verses 38 through 42, when he talks to Martha and says, did I not tell you if you believe you would see the glory of God? And in verse 42, he says this prayer that they may believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. And so what Jesus is doing here, what Jesus has been doing the entire time, all of this public ministry is really for this great purpose. Jesus has come to reveal the glory of God. That's our our big idea for today. Jesus has come to reveal the glory of God. This circumstance, this death, this painful scenario, 
all of this uh, anticipation of what was going to happen and then disappointment, all of this weeping, all, everything has led to this moment and the reason why it has happened this way is for God to be glorified that they might see God's glory, that they might understand that Jesus was sent from him. Everything that Jesus has said, everything that Jesus has done, and everything he will say, and everything he will do, is for this purpose, to reveal the glory of God. And as Jesus is in this ministry of revealing God's glory, we must not be duped into thinking that it's an automatic exchange. Because merely seeing and hearing what Jesus is going to say and do, well, that won't bring us into God's kingdom. Merely seeing and hearing will not bring us into God's kingdom. Jesus didn't just come merely for us to listen. When Jesus reveals the glory of God, it has one of two effects on people. Those who believe, and they see it. They see what Jesus has done. They hear the things he says, and it causes them to believe. And they have the glory of God revealed to them. They have no other explanation for what's happening before them except that God's glory is on display. The other response that people have in fact, it's the majority of our text here is this response that those who do not believe, they reject the work of God. They don't see the glory of God in it. Those who believe see God's glory in all of these circumstances. They see Jesus for who he is, and those who do not believe, they reject it. They miss out on it. They are unable to see it. It causes them to be more deaf and more blind. In fact, often, and in this case, it causes them to be very antagonistic against it. And these are really the two points we are going to look at today. Those who believe and those who do not believe in the way in which God's revelation of his glory has an effect on their life. We're going to begin by just going through our passage here in verse 38. Jesus is deeply moved and he comes again to the tomb. He comes to the tomb. Right, this emotional can you imagine? Four days of weeping and mourning. All of these people gathered uh, together to mourn, to wear black clothes, to just be undone by this great travesty that this man has fallen ill and died. And Jesus is participating in this mourning, and he's deeply moved, and he comes to this tomb. We're told it's a cave with a stone laid against it, which, of course, we can't help but think of the imagery of Jesus' tomb and the cave. This would have just been a typical way in which people were buried at the time. And Jesus says, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, says to him, Lord, by this time there would be an odor, for he had been dead for four days. It would have been common practice to go and to anoint a body with uh, 
you know, perfumes, to have wrapped it in cloth, to have prepared it for burial, perhaps to even have done that after it was in the tomb. But at some point, the reality of death would have set in so much that not even his loved ones would remove the stone again. The smell of death is in the air. The finality of Lazarus's fate is apparent to all. It would have been pretty gross to open up a tomb with a body in it that's been sitting there for four days. They didn't have the embalming uh, practices that we have now or the Egyptians maybe would have had for their pharaohs. These were people who simply placed a man in a tomb and death had set in. Jesus reassures her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Remember, he told Martha when she first came to him that he was the resurrection and the life. That not only would Lazarus rise on the last day as Martha had confessed, but that Jesus was the resurrection. She didn't understand what he was going to do. We can tell plainly that She didn't quite understand fully what Jesus was about to to do before her eyes, the revelation of God's glory before her. And so he reassures her, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So she seems to acquiesce, and they move the stone away. And Jesus says this prayer, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. This is a public prayer that he is making before all of these people who are wondering what is going on. Why does he want to go in and see this rotting corpse? But this prayer tells us a couple things. It tells us once again that this was no accident that Jesus and the Father, well, they've been talking about this. And that it's all been orchestrated ahead of time. And now he's praying this prayer out loud so that those people who are standing there can understand that God is Jesus' Father and that he had sent him. This is the one who has been sent. And so, after saying this short prayer, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now, we can be pretty familiar with a story like this. We can even be familiar with a story like Jesus rising from the dead. But I think we, because of our familiarity with it, fail to grasp how terrifying it would have been to be there. 
how jaw-droppingly awesome and terrifying this event would have been. Rolling away the stone from the tomb, the stench of death and perfume mingled together coming out. Jesus calling out to this dead man, bound up in cloth, and he comes stumbling out. Not a Halloween costume of a mummy. But the man who all of these people who are standing there helped put into this tomb four days ago. Helped wrap. Felt the coldness of his body. Helped apply those perfumes that they are now smelling mingled with the stench of rot. And yet, here he is standing before them. It's an unthinkable scenario. I can't imagine uh, what must be going through the minds of these people as they see him emerge. It might be like one of those classic scenes in a movie where, you know, the lady in the background faints because she is so overcome with disbelief. And so we don't want to skip over the magnitude of this miracle. The, the one who has been called the Word of God. Remember, John began his gospel by declaring that the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word and through him all things were created. Jesus is the life. He is the one through whom God speaks. And through these three words, Lazarus, come out. The power of God's glory is revealed. It's often been said by people in this passage as they've reflected on it and meditated on it that if Jesus would not have included Lazarus's name, everybody in the graveyard would have come out of their tombs. Because Jesus's words are the words of God, the words of resurrection and life. And it can't be ignored. It's terrifying. It's amazing. It's a display of God's glory. It's a full affirmation that Jesus is the one who has been sent by the Father. And we come to our two responses. Response number one. We see it in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and he believed they believed in him how could you not might be the response from these folks look it might have been one thing for him to have come up with all of this bread for these people it might have been another thing for him to have uh, healed a blind man but we don't even really know how true that story was we weren't there to see it But now Jesus has brought back 
a man from the dead, and we've been here the whole time. He's been dead. He's done it before our eyes. We have been participants in it. It causes them to believe. The glory of God has been revealed to them. They see Jesus for who he is. But the second response is where most of our text spends its time. Those who do not believe. Those who reject the work of God. Those who do not see God's glory. Who do not profess that he is the one whom the Father has sent. Verse 46 tells us some of those who were there, they went to the Pharisees and they told them what Jesus had done. I'm going to go tell on Jesus. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gather the council together. Right? They're like, hey, we got to get together, start the Zoom meeting. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This man has performing many signs, and if we let him go on day after day like this, everyone will believe in him. And this profession that everyone would believe in him, they never stopped to think for one moment whether they should be included in this everyone. That perhaps they should believe in him. No, instead they are filled with great fear that their life is going to change if Jesus is allowed to remain. The Romans are going to come and they're going to take away our place of authority. They're going to take away our temple. They're going to take away our nation. We'll no longer be able to have this life that we have set up. Jesus is threatening the things that they're trusting in, they're believing in, the place of their security. But one of them... Caiaphas, the high priest, this would have been the most powerful man in Israel. He says this, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. John gives us some information about the uniqueness of this phrase, this quote, but we pick up back in verse 53, that from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. In the mind of Caiaphas, in the mind of the Pharisees and the chief priests, it's better that this man be put to death than for this to come about, the Romans to come and undo all of this stuff. They are feeling the threat of Jesus' authority, and they think it the ends justify the means. We should, we should kill Jesus so that we can remain like this life we have now. These things in place. We can continue to be the priests in the council. We must stop the disruption. We're told in verse 51, though, that he says these things, terrible things, wicked things, but we're told that he says them not on his own accord, but as the high priest, he's actually prophesying that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one. 
the children of God who are scattered abroad. This evil, wicked plan to kill a man for the sake of the nation is actually the plan that God is going to use for his redemption, not only of that nation, indeed many from there, but also for all of God's children who are scattered abroad. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He thinks that by putting Jesus to death, it will keep things the same. But by putting Jesus to death, the glory of God is going to continue to be revealed because it is a work that he has come to do. God is at work through the death and resurrection of Lazarus to reveal his glory. And yet this is just a sign of something far greater being signified. Because we all know that Lazarus is going to end up dead again. He doesn't just live on forever. He didn't rise from the dead in the way that Jesus did in a glorified body to ascend into heaven. No, instead it is a sign to show us who Jesus was and what he was going to do. That he is the resurrection and the life. And this uh, proclamation that they're going to put this one man to death for the, the sake of the nation is also a foretaste, a shadow, a prophecy of what is really going to happen. That through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, not only this nation, but all of those who are spread abroad all of those whom God is calling to be his children, he's gathering to be united to his son. We can read these stories sometimes, and I've said this before and I know I'll say it again, and we can think about being at the tomb of Lazarus and think, man, if I was there, it would be really a lot easier to believe. If I was part of the people of Israel during the Exodus, who they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, following the glory cloud of the Lord, it would be easy to believe. If I ate that bread that came down from heaven in the wilderness to feed me, it would be easy to believe. If I saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, it would be easy to believe. But what we see in this story, what we see in all of those stories of the Old Testament, all of the great stories that you know and learn through all of your little children's Bible stories as a child growing up, is that oftentimes, more often than not, right, we get one verse here of people who believe in Jesus and then this long account of the rest of the people who want to put him to death. And the people who traveled through the Red Sea they didn't enter the promised land, except for a couple. And all of the people, as they see these things taking place, they are experiencing them, they are eating them, they are tasting them, they are hearing them audibly. Okay. 
and yet they don't see the glory of God. They reject it. It causes them to have hard hearts, to be blind and deaf, and to remain spiritually dead. And so we're at no advantage or disadvantage being where we are. John wrote these things down, remember John chapter 20, so that we may believe, and that by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we may have life in his name. We have the same decision before us each day, every time God's word comes to us. Circumstances may be different. We might not be those who saw Lazarus. We might not have been the people who laid him in the tomb. But the people who did that, they didn't all respond the same way. Some of them believed in Jesus. Others went and conspired with the Pharisees to put him to death. May we be those who, when we hear the words of Christ, when we see these stories playing out in his word, when we hear his word proclaimed to us, when we read it in our homes, by ourselves, with our families, in our churches, may it cause us to believe. May God give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May he, like Lazarus who is dead, may he take our dead hearts and make them alive. May it cause us to believe in Him. May we reject any urgency, any impulse in us to merely close that book and put it on a shelf. You see, rejection of Jesus can take many forms. It can be temporary. It can be noncommittal. It can certainly be antagonistic like these folks here where we might spend the rest of our days arguing for how right or wrong this is. But it's as simple as believing and seeing or missing out. The glory of God is being revealed and it will have an effect in our lives. It will either drive us more and more into the reality of who Jesus is to look to his death and see God's glory, to trust in his death on our behalf, to have hope in his resurrection, or it will cause us to turn away, to dismiss it. May we be those whom God's Spirit is at work gathering. These people named here in chapter 52 not just the nation of Israel back then, not just those people who were there, but us here and now as God's word is continuing to go out here and in there. May we be gathered into the one children of God. May we have great hope as we see the terrifying power of Jesus knowing that the same power that raised him from the dead is at work in his people. And it's the hope that we have as we belong to him. May we trust in him today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
the revelation of your glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to believe. Help us to respond in faith to your word. We need your spirit to enable us to trust in him. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.